magenta, known for being a color, famous for being a cartridge. Nobody thinks much about it, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why magenta is secretly incredibly fascinating. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. Two wonderful guests this week. Caitlin Gill is an amazing stand-up comedian. Her latest album is entitled Major. It's amazing. She's also an extraordinary podcast guest. She was on the very first episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, the first one Thrilled she is back for this. And then beyond all that, Caitlin runs a t-shirt business that's awesome. It's called Guarantee Shirts. That's guaranteeshirts.com. I own a couple. They are soft. They are wonderful to wear. They're also fun and clever to look at. Big old link to guaranteeshirts.com is in the show links. And then along with Caitlin, I'm thrilled to be joined by Alana Johnston, who is a wonderful comedian you may have seen on College Humor, Disney XD, Conan, IFC, or elsewhere. And then Alana is a tremendous podcaster. She makes a show called Self-Esteem Party. Self-Esteem Party is a blend of comedy and honesty. It's Alana and guests exploring what it means to, you know, feel good about yourself and, and be a person. Also, everybody is a comedian. Everybody's very funny. It's a great show. It's on the Sonar Podcast Network. Just look for Self-Esteem Party. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. Acknowledge Caitlin recorded this on the traditional land of the Yuhaviatam and Marengayam peoples. Acknowledge Alana recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino Wartongva and Keech and Chumash peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about the color magenta. Magenta is a patron pick for this month. Thank you to Joshua Graves for that great suggestion and to Caroline Gaston for cheering it on. One extra note here, Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May have been the guests on past SIFPOD episodes about colors we decided to mix that up. So Adam and Jeff will be back. It'll be for other shows, other topics. And I am thrilled for you to hear me and these wonderful guests finding out how deep the magenta rabbit hole goes. So please sit back or imagine a magenta rabbit hole, right? It's a, it's a habitat for a rabbit. It's bright magenta. Feels very Easter bunny. I love it. Either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Caitlin Gill and Alana Johnston. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Caitlin, Alana, it is so good to have you here and talking about this amazing color. I always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. Either of you can start, but how do you feel about the color magenta? Caitlin? Uh, 
Do you I've, dare? Do you dare go first? I've been obs- recently obsessed with the color magenta. I had no presence in my life and then suddenly was everywhere in the last year as I did uh, start printing things um, oh. in the last year. So I have become intimately acquainted with how a printer works. And then I started screen printing where I became the printer. And uh, I have a little tub here of uh, mixed magenta ink for screen printing. So I have become all too intimately familiar with magenta in terms of how, like, how to make it, how, to, how it plays with others, sort of. But it's like, um, I, I don't know, it's sort of like how I know how to use the internet in that I understand to Google things and then you click links, but I have no idea how the magic rays meet my smart box. Like I have no <laughs> idea how any of it actually works or its history or why or like who made it or how we figured it out. So it is magic, much like the rest of the world to me, but magic I have become all too familiar with. <laughs> and and Caitlin, I'll ask you later to send me a picture of that little tub of magenta because she had that oh, ready to go, folks. She didn't like tell me to pause and go get it. She was like, I've prepared the magenta for the show. I'm ready. We are inches away from where I work all day, so I didn't have to move to to get it. This is, if there's an illusion of space provided by video conferencing, then I think that, again, the magic of the internet, which I don't understand, but every day, every day I use it. Wow. Caitlin, that was, yeah, that was awesome. That goes, I'm so glad you went first because that goes perfectly in ham with my response, which is, uh, when it comes to magenta, it is magnetic. I am drawn to it. So, Caitlin, you brought up putting it um, on shirts or like the color, like whatever for the screen printing. And that, yes. like when I'm shopping, or uh, I mean, obviously a lot of online shopping and checking stuff out, always, always drawn to a magenta. Always. And because it, it is magnetic, it's so bright, but not like a neon blinding type bright. It's just like, I guess the word would be vibrant, maybe vibrant more so than bright. And I think it really suits my personality. All my, all my lipsticks are a pinky version or however we get to the magenta color. I have one that's like a magenta color. Um, yeah, (laughs) close to it. And so it's like, it's just like my color. It's just my color. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, it's like, I'm so drawn to it for my personal fashion. Like, absolutely. I love it. And, and Alana, your podcast art has magenta in it, I think, or something like it. Yeah, so I was like, it does. I wonder if this person's into that. There you go. <laughs> it does. I asked my designer, um, Desdemona, uh, when she was like, what colors do you want to use? And I was like, oh, I was like, give me a version of pink that you like. And that was her pick. And I was like, oh. that's perfect. Yeah, dude, she picked that out. It was like <laughs> it, it was like a, a, a perfect match because her and I had never met before. And I was like, oh, she like gets it. She totally gets it. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Desdemona coming through. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird, it's like saturated. It's a rich color and it's deeper yes. than you think. And like having learned now, uh, you know, it, it's so integral in how we make every color. And Alex, I think you're going to like teach me a lot about this in the upcoming uh, hour. And I am super <laughs> excited, but it is it, like painting with it, literally like putting it in a screen to screen print with and watching it play with other colors. And I'm actually really bad at, I'm pretty good at spot color, but CMYK printing is like really hot. I'm still learning about how to make all these colors play together. But magenta is not the one you think is the dark, like black is the darkest, obviously, but of like cyan, yeah. yellow, and magenta, magenta comes in as the darkest and you don't think about its job that way but it is the richest of all the ones that like 
mix up to make all the rest of the pretty colors. And like, it's everywhere. You don't stop seeing it. Once you start seeing how colors play together, your whole brain's taken over and the grocery store and every landscape and every car you see is just like, ooh, how'd they do that? Watching the color well, wheel like, come to life in a Ralph's, she said. It's so, <laughs> border, it's so borderline of a pink and a purple. That's right. why I love it. And it, red it just, yeah. and black and, and brown red. and like, yeah, everything. It's, it's so all borderline. hanging out there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why I like it because like you said, rich, that's like such a good word to describe it. It feels very like, you know what it feels like? Like the uh, cushion cover of like one of those Victorian couches. Uh, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. With like the gold, <laughs> the gold rim on them and everything like that. That's what magenta feels like where you would, or like on a beautiful Ottoman velvet footstool type thing. I'm like, yeah, dude, that's magenta. Very like classic. Right. But then also in like 50s Art Deco and then also in <laughs> 70s cheese and then also in bad 80s kitchens and then also <laughs> in like 90s, like, you know, beverage, everything and like, you know, T-shirts and hot, like Technicolor, like the ones that change color. I feel like those were magenta and then blue. <laughs> like it's everywhere. You can't like because it's such. Uh, a playful little character and you need it to make all these other or the way we've printed historically has used it in so many applications it's it's always there avocado isn't always there as a color sienna (laughs) isn't always there as a maroon comes and goes fern green and you're you're talking about like friendship like there for you as a friend really pulling through (laughs) got your back like i clutch my tiny eight ounce cup of of precious magenta ink she gets me through yeah Yeah, right like magenta picked me up from the airport that was really great really appreciated it that's what i'm talking about magenta will drive to lax she will old magenta comes through absolutely Little earlier, you guys mentioned before too, like having a lot of pink or purple or even red being this, because that that was the first thing I ran into trying to learn about this color is that a lot of different things describe it as a pink or a purple or a red or something else. Like I, I did an episode of right. this about beige a few months back, and beige is the same <laughs> way too. Like kind kind of every different tan is beige, and every different pink right. purple something else. Somebody's like that's magenta, mm-hmm. even though even though who knows, you know, it's all it's all perception. Yeah, like I said, I I go by the lipsticks. Yeah. I think that's true, though, for blue and for green. Like, when you think about the range of what we'd call green, from, like, neon biker shorts to, like, you know, flannel, like, 90s or, you know, something super dark, right? Like, blue does that, too, but you know it's blue. I feel like magenta is one of those weird middle colors that's like, who's that? And it's like, you don't know who she is. You know pink and you know purple and you'd call them, but somehow magenta is neither and both and also none of and some. Nobody yeah, agrees magenta. on what it is, <laughs> but it is to formula. There is like a formula. Isn't there, Alex? Is that a question I can ask you? There is like obviously oh. a uh, like Pantone mix for magenta. Like it's a specific color, but it's got to be, yeah. there's got to be a pretty codified value for cyan, yellow, and magenta, right? That's like industry standard. Yeah, we won't so the really mix talk is about the, always the same. We won't really talk about the science of that, but it is definitely That's a, fair. a thing where especially printers, like not just for shirts, but everybody's home printer right. or whatever. Like yes. that machine toners, thinks yeah. it's getting a magenta in a specific way. Yeah. They're uh man. And I'm sure they're like corporate formulas. It's insane. I've gotten too <laughs> deep, too deep. And there's only more to learn. <laughs> 
but it, it's like a laser beam color. It's like it has to be this exact thing because of science and other colors. Yes. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Green's the forest. Right. Sure. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say without knowing anything about it, it does feel like one of the more scientific colors to me. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to take a stab at it. Just funny that it's so sciencey and our eyes are just like, yeah, whatever. I guess it's that. Like, our <laughs> brains, <laughs> like artistically, wow. we're very flexible about it. But in terms of our technical application, she's measured. We know who she is. Yeah. Well, and I, I, we can get into a bit of that, too, because on every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. And this week, that's in a segment called... We'll do math if we want to. We can leave those jocks behind. Because if there's no math and if there's no stats, then they're no friends of mine. And uh, that name was submitted by Adam Miller. We have a new name every week. Please make them as silly and wacky and bad as possible. Submit to SifPod on Twitter or to SifPod at gmail.com. Thank you, Adam. Don't slumber on those numbers. (laughs) I'm into it. I think we could take this right to the radio. I'm into the remix. A hundred percent I am. I loved that jingle. I thought that was great. Oh, thank you. It is. It's, it feels like a mathy song. I think Adam really hit something at the core of the real one. <laughs> when the, the first number here is is about that printing stuff. It's the year 1893. And 1893 is the year that somebody first patented magenta as a printing color. And that's according to Ernie Smith. He does a great blog called tedium.co. And their research says that in 1893, an illustrator named William Kurtz patented the first color separation technique for printing, where you have separate plates for magenta, cyan, and yellow. And then you get, you know, basically what your home printer does and and why your home printer is constantly like, I need more cyan or I need more magenta. Everything's wrong, you know? Yeah, my printer does. I had to get a new one. Couldn't align. I know this isn't oh, about printers, align? but could not align. Couldn't get it. Oh. <laughs> Wasn't happening. <laughs> like it was always printing sideways or something? Like it was just out of... It was always double, like slightly oh. doubled. So oh, you couldn't, boy. you just couldn't read it, which is like, if I'm reading something for me, fine, I can get through it, but you couldn't send any professional docs. And are you saying, so Alex, are you saying when we do the printer, like how it does the color ink, the color test, that little pink one's magenta? That, that one yeah, is? Yeah, it should be. Yeah. Uh, or else okay, it's seeing okay. how well it mixes magenta with something else it's trying to do. But yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's very common with the color of like everything we manufacture or print out. And uh, the follow-up number here is 1906, because that's when a company called the Eagle Printing Ink Company introduced a wet ink version of it and also introduced black as a fourth color. So then we get the acronym CMYK for cyan magenta yellow and key and key is the technical term for black in that printing situation so they they figured out we'll save a lot of ink if we don't make black by stacking these other three colors intensely like let's just also have a black cartridge and then then we get out all of it yeah and we'll save a lot of time by calling it key instead of black we've got more time <laughs> on our hands less letters That's right. <laughs> i understand what these guys were going for <laughs> nice and snappy <laughs> 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 making moves like really fast velocipeding yeah. everywhere calling it totally key. dude <laughs> watch out for the bad boys of printing these guys aren't messing around 
Oh man, a quick YouTube search of screen printers will tell you that that is absolutely true. It's a grisly bunch. They're pretty adorable. It is a lot of great ponytails and like t- band t-shirts tucked into jeans. It's a lot. It's fun. Oh, I love it. I It's funny because, it, well, yeah, I wish I was coming for one guy, but it's a full page of responses that are just that guy in different forms. Like was joking. It, at Man. that time... Or like the printing process was still pretty manual. Uh, so there'd be yeah. plates for each color on whatever machine you were using. Right? Is that the yeah. st- Like we didn't get into printers that spit out paper until later. I should know when because I like have turned it into a job. But I don't. I don't, I don't know when we started <laughs> doing that. If I'm being honest. I started doing it in 2020. But others, I think, started much earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's this 1890s, early 1900s, they come up with how to print on paper. And and I think later on is like T-shirt printing. There was garment dye before that. But like the, yes. the exact putting a picture on your garment is later. Right. Uh, and then most computers are on more of a red, green, blue system. But the cyan, magenta, yellow, that's how we stamp stuff, print stuff. You get newspapers and so on. Oh, I don't I know it. It's almost like you have to tell your computer and printer the difference between what's happening on the screen and what's happening on the page. It's almost like they're totally different color values and mixes. <laughs> it is fascinating to like see how they all play together in a more hands-on way because red and magenta are not the same. And mm. like and blue isn't on the table. What's blue? What is blue? Blue's everything. <laughs> Sky and water. <laughs> so yeah, it is interesting to watch the way colors interact between screen, which is where we usually design them these days, and then box, which spits out a combination of very specific cyan, magenta, and yellow. <laughs> like learning who they are is crazy. Not the same. Yeah. They're not the same. Yeah, Caitlin, I, I love your shirts. And also I feel like maybe this topic is really rabbit holing you into your day job. You know, it's like, it's like not a break. So thank you no, for- No, but it is, uh, <laughs> I appreciate you enduring the rants, but it is fun to like, you know, it is a topic I've been thinking a lot about on this one side and uh, I will yeah. now uh, stop yelling about it so I could hear more about its early history. It's no. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I'll just hold- my tiny jar, my jar of magenta will just listen. Little pet, yeah. Well, there's really, there's one other number here before the takeaways, and the number is 8.3 million U.S. dollars. So a little over $8 million U.S. And that is the auction price of the one-cent magenta. And I sent you both a picture of it. The one-cent magenta is considered the rarest individual postage stamp in the entire world in all of history. Uh, and it's magenta colored, like it's dark, but that's that's accurate. It's pretty. Yeah, it's very pretty. I, I mean, I didn't know that hot fact, but uh, <laughs> I mean, kind of kind of changes when you look at it being like, I mean, it's not that pretty, but OK, <laughs> you know, but yeah, at a first glance. Yeah, it's cute. I'm into it. <laughs> Did you say eight point three million? Uh huh. Yeah, dude. million. You know, that is a lot of money, but you're saying that's the most valuable stamp, right? Is that it? Or the rarest? It's both, yeah. It's the most valuable and the rarest and everything. I remember being nine and thinking stamp collecting was like the ticket. 
Did anybody else have that little book of coins or like you start the your thing. numerology or stamp collection and you're like, this is it. This is my ticket. I'm going to be the one <laughs> that saves the right stamp and I'm going to be a gazillionaire. But to hear that the top prize is 8.3 million is like a lot of money. But childhood me is I'm going to be honest, a little disappointed. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You got to ask yourself when you're hearing this kind of dollar sign, am I going to be on the receiving end of that letter? You know what I mean? It's like, oh. who values oh. me at $8.3 million that they're going to use that stamp to mail me a personally written letter? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I want to know yeah. is I'm like, am I of that value to you? Am I worth that money? You know what I mean? Like if I was this person's right. partner, that would be my first demand is I'd be like, hey, dude, where are we at? <laughs> what's really good? What's going What is this? What are we doing here? Right. <laughs> I imagined Alana on a date like, yeah, you, you sent me a love letter and it was a forever stamp. So <laughs> are you even committed to this? Like, why are 100%. you? I don't uh, think I got my husband. I had the proof. I said, excuse me, you made a commitment, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Marriage by certified mail. I like it. That's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Trap him while you can. Yeah. Just post office minister. Like, if you're in the building, they're allowed. They're like a ship's captain. They can do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> when the the longer name for this stamp is the 1856 British Guyana one cent magenta. And it's rare because it's the only remaining one of a just weird situation. What happened is there was the colony of British Guyana. It's now the independent country of Guyana, but it's in South America. They were supposed to receive a shipment of postage stamps by boat, and there was a problem. They only got 5,000 stamps instead of 50,000. And so they said, we don't have enough stamps for mail in British Guyana. The local postmaster printed a set of provisional stamps, and they tried to take them out of circulation. And one kid kept one of them which is this incredibly rare one cent stamp. And, and, you know, and from there, basically collectors, it's like anything people collect. They've just increasingly agreed it's worth more money. The most recent auction in June of 2021 sold it for $8.3 million. And they actually expected it to go for a lot more because the previous auction went for $9.7 million. And NPR says they were predicting a $15 million auction in June of 2021 for this one stamp that's just super specific. Wow, what happened to that kid? Oh, I apparently he sold it for not very much money, and then other people oh, increasingly made more money off it. Yeah, he no. didn't become a, a titan of, of wealth or something. Yeah, A titan of stamps. No! Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry about the dream. Uh, <laughs> How odd. I've never heard of anything like that. It doesn't mirror all of history everywhere. Folks <laughs> invade and deplete resources. That's funny how the little stories are also the big stories. You know? It's cute how that always works. <laughs> Every time. Just a beautiful <laughs> parallel. Like... <laughs> Yeah, full yeah. circle, you know. Uh, put a stamp on that. <laughs> mail it away. And mail it uh, to me, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Alex, we give out our addresses at the end of this, right? That's how this podcast works. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the audience sends love letters to every guest, and we rate the postage, and then oh marry from there, you know? It's oh, perfect. I would love yeah. that. I would love that. <laughs> Well, and from here, uh, we have three big takeaways for the show, all about the color magenta. Here we go into takeaway number one. 
the creation of magenta was an accidental side effect of the battle against malaria. Okay. Whoa. Yeah. There's always been like stuff that is magenta colored, but creating it as a dye and as a concept came out of experiments uh, to fight malaria. That's how it happened. Cool. Is that? Oh, okay. I never guessed that. Yeah, that's a huge takeaway. <laughs> oh my god! This is the eight point three million dollar stamp of our time for magenta. <laughs> that's a lot. That's. I absolutely would have assumed that it was math done backwards. Here's just to say how I was wrong, considering I've been playing with this stuff for so long. That like, as we figured out more and more about colors, we realized what colors combined to make other colors. And then we endeavored to make the three most efficient colors. Did we need to yeah. do that? Or did we accidentally stumble upon a very pretty dye like indigo just a lot later? How did we do it? Oh, Why did malaria make magenta? And this development is a couple decades before that, like, CMYK printing comes along. Sure. So I, I think that always would have been the printing color we needed. But we've got a, a few sources here. One of them is a great book called The Secret Lives of Color by Cassia St. Clair, cultural historian and design journalist. Uh, also artsy.net piece by Amanda Shirker and then a Smithsonian piece by Aaron Blakemore. Because uh, like creating magenta stuff happened in the mid-1800s. And it was the kind of second color that came out of this accident. The first one was mauve which is okay. more of a purplish color. Mm -hmm. So is this like an attempt to make malaria more fun? Like, what are we talking <laughs> about? Why? Shush it up, give her a look. <laughs> yeah, are we, were we trying to brighten the moon? Like, what was going on? I got to right. know. <laughs> it's the color of the fever. Yeah, <laughs> like, what was it? <laughs> like, the doctor's like, there's no known cure, but we have this Miami Vice stuff if you would like it. And maybe that, maybe that's helpful to you. Uh, it's really, really fun to wear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they there was a phenomenon from, and, and this is another colonialism thing, but from the 1500s all the way into the 1900s, European countries are trying to colonize tropical locations, mm -hmm. uh, which brings them into contact with malaria. Uh, and the only known treatment at the time for malaria was quinine. And quinine is a medication that's not really used today because it has strong side effects and we found alternatives. But at the time, the only way to get quinine, the only treatment for malaria, was to harvest it from the bark of a tree in South America called the cinchona tree. So all these European empires are like, all our people are catching malaria, and the only solution is this tree bark. How do we just synthesize that? How do we come up with an artificial quinine to fight malaria? So that was the goal. Okay, so not as fun as I initially thought. <laughs> how does that accidentally okay. make magenta? How do we get, how did yeah. it, was it just a very pretty salute? Like, if we rub these dyes together, if we make their lips look good, maybe they'll feel better. <laughs> See if that does the trick. Well, and, and so from there, they're just saying, hey, what's like every substance on earth and can we turn it into quinine somehow? Right. And so there was a chemist, uh, it was an 18-year-old British chemist named William Perkins, so a teenager. And in 1856, he's trying to synthesize quinine from coal tar. And coal tar is like a toxic waste substance that comes from gas lights. I know there's a lot of chemistry. You don't need to really follow it intensely. But he's taking old coal tar, trying to turn it into malaria medication, and he accidentally makes dye. 
he like does his experiment and says, I don't have medication, but when I dip fabric into this, it is bright purple. It's a bright color I will call mauve. All right. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. How did you land on mauve, kid? An 18-year-old named came up with the name mauve? I mean, I have a series yeah. of follow-up questions very specific to that moment, but I will leave them for time travel <laughs> and when I get to in, in, interrogate that young man. Yeah, apparently the name is from the French name for a flower that is that color. Oh, that's and a so way that's easier oh, okay. answer. I just yeah, thought he sneezed and accidentally he, wrote down again, the sound he made. Yeah, much like the key, he uh, is trying to save time. And he just, he, instead of the long flower <laughs> name, he said, Mauve, let's shorten this. Let's get on with it. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, the flower name was probably huge, like Le Monde de Fond. Exactly. Fond. And he was like, exactly. Get, on, get on with it. I'm a busy yeah, kid. Yeah, he was like, I'm 18. I have so much to do. I'm so smart. I have to get these other things done. <laughs> I'm a baby genius. Move over, color. I'll go. I'll see myself out. I'll just leave. <laughs> well, and, uh, and with this mauve dye, it was it's what's considered the first modern dye because they made it from something synthetic. And it was also super cheap to make, super long-lasting. So then there's this huge mauve fashion craze because regular people can afford it and everybody's wearing this pretty purple. Mm -hmm. And then immediately other chemists say, what's my mauve? Like, how do I make a bunch of money on a, a artificial dye made out of old coal tar? What do I do? And basically the first next big color is magenta. And it was parallel invented by a chemist in France named Francois-Emmanuel Verwin, and also a British firm called Simpson, Mall, and Nicholson. Like, everybody came up with magenta at that same time, and it was another huge fashion hit uh, in 1858. That's when we got, like, the dye of magenta and kind of the idea of it. That's awesome. Wait, I, I, yeah. I love that they were both fashion trends, and that does make sense. Fashion and what we wear always has this odd path through society in different ways, through science, through the environment. And that's just yeah. an interesting collision that a dye made of waste then became a fashion craze, which is like beautiful, but also, you know, tends to lead toward a path of environmental destruction somewhere down the line. Like if you right. it's awesome to repurpose the waste for one thing and so funny to lead fast forward to fast fashion now. Uh, oh. I don't think they're making a lot of it from recyclable materials. <laughs> Just funny, what we invented from necessity, we then uh, turned into convenience over time because it is valuable. We kind of love it. It's pretty. <laughs> we like it. Wow. We place well with other colors. Yeah. We do wow. that with everything. We do. Ooh, do we know how to turn the tables on a product? Let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> we are good at that. We're very good. <laughs> What do you mean, she says, drinking water from a can? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's all dead on. And and also I it's it's not a thing I have sources for. I just wonder if part of these purples and pinks and stuff, I feel like they're associated with ladies. And I think it's partly because yeah. they were immediately a fad with like Mauve caught on first with the Empress of France and with Queen Victoria and then Magenta follows, you know, like like these colors became ladies fashion right away. And I wonder if that kind of pointed us there with the association with it. We're trendsetters. Ladies are. It's yeah. True. That's it. Good yeah. Job. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> In my trend setting crop top. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
I feel like there is this funny crossover where a lot of the fashionable masculine colors were pretty bright, kind of in correlation with military regalia, which for many years was like bright, powerful colors. And some of them might have been kind of maroony, but a lot of like blues or indigos or reds or strong golds, like bright colors. Yeah. Uh, and I seem to recall that World War One put a quick stop to all of that. Uh, and the gray and green army quickly became the preferred uh, fighting tool as, you know, a red army, like literally not like a figurative one, uh, but a, like the French army, <laughs> World War One-ish, like red, literally wearing bright red, white, and gold is not going to fare as well yeah. against like tanks and horses in a gray mass uh, that you can't even see approaching. So I think it's funny that like, maybe there's just a weird timing element where for a long time men were colorful and fashionable. And part of that was this like pageantry of, you know, the, how those colors were used and what they represented and the switch in that around mid-century of like, you know, as things industrialized and colors became accessible yeah. in both a new production way and an, into new classes. It's just interesting how that morphed and changed where maybe a little bit earlier, turn the clock back a century on using these colors and they would have been army's colors. You know, France's magenta army isn't insane to think about wow. if it was cheap to produce and fast, but you know, they were using yeah. other methods of production and other colors at the time. And those colors became masculine. <laughs> it's just funny. Yeah, Everything's drag is what I'm saying. We're all pretending. <laughs> Caitlin, that's incredible. It leads, it leads straight into takeaway number two. Takeaway number two. Yes. The name Magenta comes from the French army pants in a battle near an Italian town. No way. That's basically yeah, what happened. This that camouflage change around World War One on the on the that old beige podcast we talk about beige becoming an army color then. But before that, it was yep. brightly colored armies. And basically, as soon as magenta dye is invented, it becomes a military color, and that's where it gets its name. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't last long, huh? Didn't really get a chance to shine in a military industrial <laughs> complex. No, it didn't. It got, <laughs> timing just wasn't great, right? Because you said decades. like, end, it was like 1893. Yeah, a couple decades when it would have been some sharp pantaloons. Um, yeah. But yeah, pretty swiftly after that, it's going to go out of fashion <laughs> in terms of warrior apparel. <laughs> But fashion always, it always comes back. Everything comes back around. So I'm just waiting to join the army until (laughs) the colors change. (laughs) When they get back to the vibrant, rich colors like magenta um, that I'm into, I will join. Yeah. There's still, there will be a Marine recruiter that finds you with a free pair of magenta pants. And that's going to be all it takes. (laughs) From this podcast, (laughs) from this podcast. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to regret saying this. Absolutely. Honestly, any institution that can provide me with free pants that fit, I would consider joining at this point. <laughs> I, I would consider it at least. I'd put it on the table. Like along with the love letters at the end, if any world militaries want to send us recruitment material, you know, just send that in. Uh, I am interested in all branches, all countries. I'm flexible. You know, let's do it. We're gonna use this as the soundbite. We're gonna lure them in, and we're all we're all joining the army because of these pantaloons. <laughs> this is this is what's happening now. That's how we hook them. Yeah, I love it. That's how we get it. That's how we do it. Yeah, forget Call of Duty. A sharp pair of magenta riding pants. That's what's gonna do That's it. What I'm saying. More like Call of Ruby. Am I right? Oh, that's the general shade. Anyway. Uh, so this this magenta dye gets invented in 1858, 
And then it gets the name magenta in 1859. Because actually okay. the people who invent it, the the French chemist Verwin, he calls it fuchsia after the flower that's already called fuchsia. And, and this is a color we know too. Right. Uh, the British call it rosane. And it's just kind of this bright color that is immediately first purchased by some militaries. Uh, in particular, the French army, they have light infantry units called Zouaves that uh, are they are basically co-opting how they think people dress in North Africa because France was colonizing that. And they're like, oh, we'll have these fun, baggy, bright colored pants for our Zouaves. And so starting in 1858, some of them are magenta pants. They're They're dressing in that style. That's wild. Yeah. What a strange picture as somebody who's like, you know, I think all of us in just about any age range in America, conflict and military conflict has been a part of our life and our history. And there's a pretty solid picture of what that looks like. And I'm going to admit that inserting a pair of magenta pants is a jarring change to the (laughs) picture I have of uh, military activity and incursion. Uh, I'm not going to say I don't like it. I'm just saying it's a change. From the picture I have. (laughs) It's weird how much pants has influenced my life and I didn't even know it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Right. We're all influenced by these like French light infantry units in the 1850s. Weird. That's what I'm saying. Goes direct to me. Goes direct. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, And then from there, so we've got these French pants and then it turns out there is a town in northern Italy named Magenta. That is the source of the word Magenta. Uh, it's it's you can visit it today. There there's about 20,000 people living there. Well, I'll have a lot of links for people cuz like the history of Italian unification is is sort of dense and there's a lot to learn there. But along the way there's basically a bunch of little wars to try to turn Italy from a bunch of different countries on a peninsula to one unified independent kingdom. And in 1859, there's a war between Austria and an alliance of a couple Italian kingdoms and the French. It's super brief, but the main battle is near the town of Magenta. And one of people's takeaways from this battle is, hey, look at those colorful pants on those troops. Let's name this after the town and the Battle of Magenta. And so the Battle of Magenta near the town of Magenta leads to those French pants being called the color magenta. I mean, if I have to be involved in a war every time we're naming a color, count me out, okay? It's, <laughs> this is this feels like a dramatic way to get to the name of the color. I bet a lot of lives were lost for absolutely no reason. <laughs> really bloody battle, like, actually, yeah. Yeah, it was very bad. Is, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like... It's weird because um, when we were describing the color, we used words like vibrant, rich, but what we didn't use was intense. And that, to yeah. me, is now the descriptive word of this color (laughs) i'm changing my tune i'm changing my tune (laughs) yeah yeah and the name partly came from people were like oh fuchsia this flower name or rosane this other flower name that's way too like girly for this masculine military pant color let's call it magenta after that cool fight that just happened which is not how it's thought about it today. Now it's like for your printer or for a bright lady's outfit. <laughs> yeah, for my printer. Yeah, that's. <laughs> it's either I put a dress on or I print something. There's two options for me every day. <laughs> I just Honestly, choose between them. <laughs> it's making me feel a lot better about things like "lol" making it into the dictionary. 
Like, okay, you know what? Whatever dumb word we want to come, like lol, getting into the dictionary, didn't like laugh out loud as an abbreviation, get added to the dictionary or raffle or something. Like every year there's controversy over what word is going to make it into the dictionary uh, or what uh, selection. And it's always some modern word that feels trite. Its introduction causes some stir. And of course it would be great now if I had illustrative examples, but you know what? I'm not Googling mid podcast, so I don't, but we know the scraps where it's like, no, no, you can't put like snickerdoodle in the dictionary. That's not a real word. Right. Well, yeah, I'd rather, as long as it's not the battle of snickerdoodle, like that's fine. <laughs> Whatever dumb way we want to cut them up with words seems better than like, well, the pants of the men who slaughtered my family were a very bright color. Let's name it after my town. That's a crazy <laughs> way to add to the collective language discourse. I'll stick with goofing off online. I think that's an appropriate way to build communicative tools. Right. Rather than the common reference of the color of the pants of those who came to raid. That <laughs> seems like a bleak way <laughs> to come up with our phrases. Yeah, no one died for OMG. It was fine. It was no totally one, peaceful. You know what? Good. I, I think you're right. I think people, that's a safe People were right. on board with OMG. People wanted in and they got in on the ground floor and they're grateful for it. And it was harmless. <laughs> so it's a harmless word harmless that's the key yeah <laughs> what's fun is that atheists and christians alike can enjoy oh my gosh with no consequence everyone's enjoying it yep we're in it's a if anything it's a unifying word if anything it's brought us together that we can all enjoy omg <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that happened uh, peacefully and then and again if people want to know everything about the the Second War of Italian Independence, where, where where the King of Sardinia and France and teamed up against Austria, they they can. But at this one battle in it and this town, you can visit in northern Italy. That's that's where the name Magenta comes from. It, uh, you, I, I think it's a particularly strange colored uh, source name, name of a colored source. There we go. Agreed. It's very funny that Zoom decided to fuzz out right as uh, world history in depth became oh. uh, the topic. Just on my end, I enjoyed yeah. a very humorously time technical technical hiccup. You know, if Zoom's going to interrupt us, you got to call out the times when it's fun. Zoom's it's, like, uh, Caitlin, Alana, get some water. He's really going. Uh, like, t- you take a break. Uh, yeah. I did have a sip of water. Yes, I did. <laughs> I absolutely, I know a break when I see one. I absolutely <laughs> had some water, of course. <laughs> Very bad Zoom. I love it. Uh- <laughs> All right. Off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. Len, there's a, there's one more takeaway for the main episode here, and, and we can get into it. Takeaway number three. For trademark purposes, one company basically owns Magenta. Always. Yeah. They don't like entirely officially control it, but they're suing people for trying to use Magenta as their logo or their company color, and, and they're mostly succeeding. And the company, the, the parent company is Deutsche Telekom. And Deutsche Telekom is a Fortune 500 company, very large German uh, company. And then they have subsidiaries all over the world. In the US, they are T-Mobile. In Canada, they are T-Systems. It's that magenta cell phone company that is uh, all over the world. The T-Mobile pink? You're trying to call that as magenta? No, I'm scrapping that. They extremely that. call it magenta. Yeah. No, <laughs> There's no, no way. I'm putting my Take foot down. No. I'm, you know what? T-Mobile, if I'm, you're listening, as my carrier. That's not magenta. You're with me, right? I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's pink. Kids, yeah. take a, pack your suitcase right and walk right out of magenta. You're pink. A bold one at that. I like that. Right? They're facilitating a lot of people hearing this and also take a hike, T-Mobile. Get out of here. Uh, no way. I think that's how we feel about our cell phone carriers. This is one of capitalism's most abusive relationships. <laughs> it's the same. It's all the same. I'm 40. Just let me you give me credit for getting most of the words right and for operating Zoom appropriately. This is fun to be the age now where I can be like, look, I did it right. And that's like, I, I get credit for that. That's fun. Yeah, I'm 40. Just let me enjoy the internet the way I want to. <laughs> Please. Slow and it makes loud noises when I start it. Please, more noise. <laughs> I need a CD-ROM. I'm out of free hours. That's really interesting that a company owns it. I wouldn't even, like, yeah. the name or, like, like what, any use, like, clothing company use? Like, what, oh. how do you, how do you watch that? How do you do it? Yeah, they, like, they have a, a trademark on it in Germany, and then they're trying to do that in other countries, and then, like, you, you can use Magenta to make stuff, but if you want your, like, main okay. company logo to be Magenta, like, the way T-Mobile's logo is Magenta, they will sue you, and not just if you're a cell phone company. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm about to get in hot water. There's a bit of magenta on my podcast poster. Oh, it's, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know anyone was going to come after me. I'm going to get a cease and desist. <laughs> I'm going to have to get some key in there. Cover it up. <laughs> this is a nightmare. Is it kind of like sport team colors? Like those are very hmm. specific. Like brand colors, too, are suit like Coca-Cola's red. It's that it's kind of a thing. red. Yeah. With right. a very specific like print balance that like. You know, you can represent it numerically as a red. You can patent that, right? Like Coca-Cola doesn't own red. They own that red. So does yeah. a company own a magenta? Like that gets slippery, right? There's Yankee blue and it's not the same as like Cubs or Mets blue or whatever. Well, like 
look how hard it is. Even when you said, or uh, Alex, when you had said T-Mobile and Caitlin and I were like, what? That's no. not magenta. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's, if somebody brings you to court and they're like, that's magenta, what, what, the argument's just, no, it's not. I don't think so. And it's like, <laughs> who can, how are we to prove this? It's like, I, you know what I mean? Are we going to Home Depot to get the paint samples and we're just going to hold it up and see? It's like, right. it sounds impossible to me. It's a literally looking at like the value of the color. That's weird. And then it's like yeah. on a monitor and a printer. We're right back to the weird world of like Here we how are. different <laughs> colors are. All comes back it, around to the can to the can of or the jar of magenta that you're holding. It all comes back to the jar. Here she is. It is a weird idea. I mean, we patent so many odd things. Ideas like they do get discovered. Like they are inventions right. with specific like ingredients and formulas, but they are also a concept. It's just funny that it's both and that to attribute a formula to something named after a dude's pants is just a peculiar human habit. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're, the sources here, the main source is an amazing piece for NPR by Darius Rafian. And there's also Mental Floss and Recode and a few other places. But when we're talking about like Coke trying to have red and stuff, it seems like Deutsche Telekom, which is T-Mobile and T-Systems, they, mm -hmm. they're they pretty uniquely successful at trademarking a color. Like, even though Coke, I'm sure, has a specific red, you know, like Kraft and Netflix and stuff can use red, too. It's not a problem. I was wondering if it was one of those things where if you bump the formula enough uh, that it is not Coke's, essentially adding one more percentage or measure of red or yellow, or sorry, of yellow or uh, magenta when you're mixing it or printing it or representing it on screen changes it. You yeah. know, it changes it so minimally in our perception that it's still Coke's red, but it's also not. And I wondered how specifically formulaic or if it, that's exactly why we don't trademark cuddlers because they're too darn close. Right. And you know, my Klapa Klola can't be red with cursive. <laughs> it could be like maroon with a handwritten font. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a Klapa Cola drinker. I'm a Pepsi drinker. That's me. That's oh, thanks. Mine. Yeah, great. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Pepsi. Oh, God. <laughs> We just spoke that into existence. Well, and, and as far as I can tell, Deutsche Telekom has been able to successfully sue companies that did bump it a little bit, too. Wow. Hmm. There's an official Pantone shade called Pantone Rhodamine Red U. That is the official T-Mobile Deutsche mm -hmm. Telekom one. But we'll, we'll talk about their lawsuits in a bit. They just really love magenta to the point where... Like any store of theirs I've seen, the building is magenta, like on the inside. Mm -hmm. um, they also built a website called lovemagenta.com, where they call magenta the single most important element of their entire corporate brand and sell entirely magenta merchandise about it. And then the CEO of the company is a guy named John Legere, who has only ever been seen in public wearing at least one piece of magenta. He also has custom-made magenta sneakers, and in 2019, he dyed his hair magenta, Yes. They they are just and also some of their subsidiaries in some countries are called Magenta Telecom. That's that's Austria's version of them is Magenta Telecom. Some cults are really boring. Yeah. Yeah. They love it. The most important element of your business. You have employees brand. You have human <laughs> people working for you. You have folks digging yeah. in mines to get the elements necessary to build your. But no, uh, the concept of a color. Those right. those soldiers pants. It, it just hits. You know, and, that's what we think about. And not like best reception or most fun phones or whatever. It's it's like magenta. That's the essence of our corporate brand. 
as a color. Just to make him mad, I'm just going to say that Sprint's yellow is more distinct. Oh. <laughs> Wow. Just come for other phone brands based on their color. AT&T's blue? Are you kidding me? The exquisite perfection of the there, not there AT&T blue? Mm, that gradient kiss from like gray blue to white blue across the new logo? Perfect. <laughs> I'm with AT&T and I can say it was um, exclusively because of the color choice of huh. the Just, uh, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> the blue and I thought to myself this is who I want to facilitate my communication from here on in so I when I first got my first cell phone it was singular wireless which had I think an orange mm-hmm. logo because I liked that yeah and then AT&T ate them and now I'm on AT&T yeah it's, it's all been color yeah. wars the whole time <laughs> But and and so Deutsche Telekom, they have proceeded to sue companies over this color, maybe partly because we're so drawn to it. The the most the lawsuit that makes the most sense is in 2014, AT&T launched a prepaid cell phone subsidiary called AO Wireless with what they called a plum logo. But it is it's kind of the same color and Deutsche Telekom successfully sued them. And then from there, AT&T just shut down that whole operation. They were like, oh, we didn't get the color. Forget it. Done. Wow. <laughs> Outrageous they shut the whole thing down. They just rolled it into their other businesses and said, okay, forget it. Yeah. Like within a year. Do you think that was about trying to usurp magenta branding? That the sole purpose of like, you know, baiting that hook was just to see if they could win the lawsuit and take magenta? Yeah. I, as plum? I can't prove it. And that's my read on it. Yeah. That seems to be what was going on. Man, now I feel bad for Magenta. Remember the majesty of the name? It, I mean, a fight is brutal and like not maybe not the best part of human nature, but I'm going to give it more romanticism and drama than like Plum and Magenta at a legal battle in a civil court somewhere. That, that's a, perhaps an evolution in our nonviolence, but not in our futility. We are still willing to engage in feudal battles as a species, certainly. <laughs> Yeah, it's all it's all I guess there's a lot of wars in this episode, but other lawsuits they've done in 2008, they threatened to sue Engadget, which is a tech coverage website that had a a magenta logo. 2015, they sued German smartwatch maker Oxy. 2018, they sued a British data management software company called Data Jar Limited. And then in 2019, they sued a U.S. insurance company called Lemonade. And Lemonade's CEO, like, fought with them in public. He said, quote, at some level, I knew it wasn't a joke, but it sure sounded like one. You're talking about the one of the three ink cartridges in every printer in the world, end quote. And then also, like, to cover all his bases, he said, also, our logo's pink. It's not magenta. Like, he was, he was trying to kind of, <laughs> well, you know, you win what. every way he could. Yeah. <laughs> Magenta's been a busy, busy color. My gosh, all these lawsuits. Like, yeah. I wish I could get sued that many times. It means I'm up to something. Like, this is <laughs> this is wild. Yeah. This is absolutely wild. I can't believe it. Like, and, and the investigating you have to do to track everybody down. Right. 
because they're not even in the same field. Like, like that's what I mean. I'm like, it's somebody's job to just scour the internet and like look <laughs> up, like find somebody using these colors. Like, how how are we even getting to this? Like, or do we have a button on the internet in which you can report a color and <laughs> then they get alerted of the report? <laughs> like, is that what's happening? <laughs> I mean, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Some terrible drop down in Google. Like, oh, do you want to sue somebody? Like, seriously? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, wow. Is it just magenta or am I missing these stories about every color? Or oh. every color that has some kind of other value? Like, did cyan have the same beef? Or is it just yeah, magenta? Yeah, like, are we, is it all just pants-based? Are we getting some shirt colors <laughs> in there? Are we getting a fanny pack in there? Like, what? where are the colors coming from? Lynn, and so... This kind of lawsuit, it seems like it only started happening in the 80s, like anybody doing this kind. And this is Darius Raffian doing amazing reporting on it. Uh, he found a trademark attorney named Robert Zelnick. And that guy said, yes, you can functionally trademark a color if you can just keep winning these lawsuits. And the spark for people doing that is pink fiberglass insulation. Interesting. Uh, there's a company called Owens Corning that was started making their insulation pink. They did a whole ad campaign around it. They also paid for the rights to the Pink Panther cartoon character from MGM to like help advertise it, and that's still their mascot today. And then they, from there, trademarked pink insulation specifically. They successfully made it so nobody else can produce insulation that's pink because that's part of their thing. And so then from there, like a bunch of other companies, including Deutsche Telekom, have attempted to do that, too. And Deutsche Telekom, along with uh, Tiffany Jewelry and their like Robin's Egg Blue, those are the most successful, just pure trademarks of a color through litigation. Wild. It's so weird. Man, I I have not been working hard enough. Let me tell you, I in no <laughs> lawsuits. <laughs> right. I have no cool colors under <laughs> under my belt here. I got nothing going on. And uh, that's a bummer because it sounds like these guys are really making moves and really making things happen. <laughs> right. If you're in court all the time, I guess you're winning like you're up to something and people want it. that's what i'm saying yeah. you're up to something you know there could be a movie about you like you don't know you don't know you don't get paid for those rights in prison <laughs> i am conflating civil and criminal court but also if i'm getting sued i'm doing something illegal so i'm, I'm guessing that it's a little bit of from column a a little from column b everything from the spice rack going into my criminal endeavors just kidding no i'm totally legal above board business license and everything what <laughs> uh oh we got another soundbite <laughs> right and it seems like this kind of trademark is almost impossible to do. Like Deutsche Telekom is extremely rare in the whole legal world for this. We'll also have links about the Cadbury candy company trying to trademark that purple. Like oh, yeah. the, the eggs and stuff they do, they're really famous for it. And then in 2019, they lost. Like the, the court said, no, it's not totally yours. Other people can use it. And Deutsche hmm. Telekom is, I think, basically always risking losing this too. Because if they keep going after everybody eventually people right. might be like no other people can have some magenta some places you don't own this chunk of the color world you know so strange that's very funny and i guess it, it would have to be like a primary color i wonder if it, that purple the issue was just too many brands had too many purples close 
Like, it seems like if you pick a color in a densely crowded area, you're not going to be able to single it out as your own. But if you go for the limiest lime green or like the most atrocious, like, you know, far end of the spectrum offensive to your eyes, you might be more likely to hold onto it. Like safety cone orange might be a pretty good brand choice because it's so unlikely to appear in other branding. Magenta is like one of those colors that's popular, but it's a bold choice for a brand and kind of a modern choice for a brand, sort of an internet-y choice for a brand. Uh, If you got in early with that pink before it became more ubiquitous, then I guess you have a better shot at keeping it. But it seems like if you're trying to get that game now, you have to be like puce. Nobody's going to fight for a dud color. You know what I mean? Everyone's like, this guy's not worth it. (laughs) What are you, nuts? Take him. I don't want to take him off my hands, please. I hate this guy. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I'm with you. I'm with you, Caitlin. We got to, we got to reset the bar in terms of what colors we want to associate with. I'm going to have to dig into some histories. Make sure I'm not, you know, inappropriately wearing some soldier's pants on the wrong day or something. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, that is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Caitlin Gill and Alana Johnston for brightening my day with our fun taping about a bright color. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is shocking myths about magenta. There are more myths about magenta than you would think. How about that? Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than four dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring the color magenta with us. Here is one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, magenta is an accidental side effect of the battle against malaria. Takeaway number two, the name magenta comes from the French pants in a battle near an Italian town. And takeaway number three, for trademark purposes, one company basically owns magenta. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. Caitlin Gill's stand-up album is called Major. We'll have links for you to hear that and buy that. And then her t-shirt company is called Guarantee Shirts. I am wearing one as I tape this, and it feels great. You're going to want them too. GuaranteeShirts.com or follow the episode link. And then Alana Johnston has a wonderful podcast called Self-Esteem Party that is on the Sonar Podcast Network. Just search the name Self-Esteem Party. The, The logo, as we described, very magenta. You'll see it. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A great book that I I really want you to check out. It's titled The Secret Lives of Color. It's by Cassia St. Clair. It's been a useful source for every episode we've done so far about colors. We've also probably talked about less than 1% of what is in there. Just an amazing piece of work. Tons of research, tons of stories, tons of ideas. Please check that out if you, you know, have any interest in where colors come from. Also, all those color episodes have many sources beyond Cassia St. Clair. This week is no different. 
One source is a great article from Smithsonian. It's by Aaron Blakemore, and it's called How Malaria Gave Us Mauve. A great piece from JSTOR Daily by Allison C. Meyer. Amazing NPR stuff by Darius Rafion. Find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken, Unshaven by The Budos Band. Our show logo is by artists Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>